We're almost to the drop-off point. Soon I'll be delivering that brat to the warlord and collecting a handsome bounty which you will get your share of. Share of? There's only two of us left. I get half. Half? Please. You just got to the game. Boy, don't test me. I will be delivering the cargo and collecting the bounty. No one of true importance would lower themselves to trade with a mere boy. Boy? You have no idea who you're talking to. I have been in charge of this whole operation. You have no idea who you are talking to. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode... Adrift in the galaxy, Asajj Ventress takes a train protection job with Boba Fett's bounty hunter crew. The Dathomirian assassin defeats the train raiders and then betrays Boba to spare a young cage bride-to-be from a repulsive fate. Hey, chips, it's your old buddy Bucho, Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. Next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the chrismo to my pluma. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about the 86th episode in the StarWars.com, Clone Wars Chronology. It's written by Katie Lucas, and it's directed by Kyle Dunleavy, and it's Season 4, Episode 20, Bounty. So, Robbie, let's roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about Bounty before you rewatched it again this week. I honestly didn't remember all the details, but as it was playing out, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. But, uh, you know, the big thing that I remembered was that this is the continuation of Ventress's story and what she does next. And I love the dynamic between her and the rest of the bounty hunters. It's really a lot of fun to watch and to see, I don't know, it's almost like how she chooses to carry herself after this whole ordeal, you know, with the Dooku thing and then the Night Sisters thing. And now she's on her own. What does she choose to do? It's it's just a lot of fun to watch. And apparently Katie Lucas just loves Ventress. Yeah. <laughs> or she just kind of said, okay, when there's a Ventress episode, I'm writing it. I don't know. But it's an interesting thing. It sure is, Robbie. And, of course, we get the obligatory badass gets hassled by some fool in the city bar, so she murders him scene, you know. I'm not much of a talker and the, oh, yeah. the old record scratching. And, of course, we're on Tatooine for, what, the second time in the show? Is this the first time since the theatrical release when they go and take uh, Stinky the Hut back to Jabba? I guess so. You know, it's very, very A New Hope and, you know, in a good way. <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's something that this show does. It throws us these fun references to other films and somehow it just makes them work. And, you know, part of what makes them work is that they introduce us to fun new characters at the same time. Now, Bosk, we are not getting introduced to. We've met Bosk before. Here, there's maybe an extra element where it's tough to know with a lizard because, you know, they stick their tongues out naturally. But when he's looking at Ventress, he's extra creepy because he's sort of looking her up and down as he's looking the tongue out and kind of looking his lips and it gives this extra creepy harassment sort of vibe like he's just a creep let's just put it that way and of course we also meet Lats Razzi who has these odd chain-like weapons I mean we don't find this till later when the fight breaks out but she has these cool sort of chain-like weapons that are attached to her outfit that she uses as like a whip fighter or I guess a chain fighter and then we meet 
C21 High Singer at one point, although we're just sort of introduced to him. We don't get to find out much about him until the fight starts. The other guy there who's there, of course, is Dengar, and you know, him and Bosk aren't necessarily best friends. He gets told to shut up by Bosk. But the main guy, obviously, is Boss Bobber. He's the boss now, he's still a kid, but somehow this kid has something to him that has convinced these other bounty hunters to follow him. So how did you like the way that this whole sort of first act was set up and how these bounty hunters were either introduced or reintroduced, Robbie? Well, here's one of those things where for some reason, you know, you've got the like the previous episodes, like the box or whatever. They introduce a lot of characters or reintroduce some characters and you're just kind of, you know, you just kind of go with it. With this one, I loved every single one of these characters. I mean, they really have something special to show for each of them. For me, I mean, of course, I was super pumped to hear that Simon Pegg was Dengar, you know? Right. So, I mean, this is, uh, even though he's in The Force Awakens, this was his first foray into Star Wars. And so, you know, I was really, really excited to see, you know, Dengar's almost smooth. For some reason, I just never thought much of Dengar. I mean, I guess maybe he's intentionally vague in Empire, but... They all pretty much are, right? And one of the things this series does so well is it fleshes all of these characters out. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the our relationship with these guys was the, is the figures that we got, you know, as kids. It wasn't even from the movie, per se. Yeah, I mean, especially, like, Lots Razi. I was kind of thinking, okay, who is this character? Even the High Singer, I was like, eh, come on, another kind of almost assassin droid kind of thing. I mean, it's just like, man, we've seen all this before, but I just really, really dug them. And I love that Boba's running the show, especially with, you know, when he's in the prison, getting all up in uh, in Obi-Wan's face. At least for me, being a Boba Fett fan, I love to see that, you know, he's being trusted enough to run this little outfit. I mean, he's definitely got to be, what, probably 14? I would, 13? Sure. I would say, I would guess 14. Yeah. So he's, at this point, he has done enough to where all of these people trust him to run the show. And I just think that's cool. I just, I love it. And I'm like, okay, well, that kind of informs a little bit more about Boba Fett that he's, you know, even at a young age, he's this good at what he does, you know? But of course, uh, it's kind of one of those things where, in a way, I was a little kind of jumping forward a little bit. I was a little disappointed at how quickly some of the other bounty hunters were sort of taken out of the fight. Right. Like, I wanted to see more with Dengar, and I wanted to see, you know what I mean? Because Dengar gets, I mean, he's the first one that gets thrown off, and it's just like, oh, man. You know, I kind of want to see more of what he's going to do. And, sure. But anyway, I, yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed all of the bounty hunters in this episode. They all brought something different, which was really, really nice to see. Yeah, I don't remember if we mentioned this in the previous episodes when Boba was around. I'm sure we did, but courtesy of Kevin Kiner, he has his own distinctive theme, or at least a motif I think that's what you call it. I don't know. It's kind of a mix between Western and Eastern influences. It's neither one nor the other. And so it's really effective at conveying mystery and menace. You know, it sounds like something that might be out of a cowboy movie, but it also sounds like something that's just its own thing. I mean, the the first famous cowboy movie thing, of course, is the old... (laughs) And it's kind of his version of that. I'm not going to try and sing Bob's theme right now, but it's very distinctive. As soon as it plays, you pick it up immediately, and I really dig this you know like i just i mean i'm just gonna repeat myself that it conveys this mystery and this menace where it doesn't sound exactly like any one earth sort of type of music that i can think of but yeah i really dig that little bobber thing that he's got and i also found interesting that in this episode when boba fett meets major regoso the beluga news hired them he says you make the rules i follow them 
which is really a completely non-badass thing to say. It's it's not the sort of thing we expect from Bobby or from the Bobby that we've met in the past, but I just found that a line that kind of stuck out a bit. Not that I necessarily had a problem with it. Almost like it, they were trying to tell us something extra about Bobby, that he's not putting on any sort of pose that he's the boss, you know. He's saying, you're the boss, just tell us what to do. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I kind of read that a little differently. I, I don't know. It's almost like you set up the rules and I follow them, but he's in his head, he's more... I'm going to do things my way, but I'm telling you this. I felt that like it it wasn't a, like a relegation of power. It was more of a, well, I'm just going to appease this guy. Of course, that could be me just imprinting my own view of Boba Fett onto it, but that's what I took from it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, because no conflict ever breaks out between the two of them. You know, there's never a sense that Boba Fett is undermining Major Ragoso or, you know, doing anything differently. Boba Fett does just, you know, fall in line with Major Ragoso's plan, so... Maybe it was more like he's saying, hey, whatever you want us to do, we can do it. Yeah. You know, you make the rules, whatever they are, we're going to do the job because we're good. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, you know, you've got Ragoso saying all of those things. You've got Boba Fett saying, yeah, I'll do it. And then when we get on the train, Boba Fett's the one that's saying, hey, you guys go here. You guys, we're going to do this. It's one of those things where I guess I just didn't think too much of it. I thought more of like, you know, Boba's running the show. So I don't know. That's just kind of how I got it. Well, speaking of Major Ragoso, how did you like how he literally goes out telling the leader of the Raiders over my dead body? But what can I say? That was just a, f- I mean, sad for Major Ragoso, but as we find out later, maybe they're not the good guys anyway. I just think it's always a fun way to have some sort of twist on the old over my dead body line. And in this one, it worked for me. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where the way that it's edited together, I really, really kind of enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, the comedic timing on the part of Carl Dunleavy and his editors just works a treat in that scene. And speaking of timing and visual presentation that works a treat, there is a ton of kung fu fighting in this episode, Robbie. A ton of it, not just with Ventress, but Lats Razi also has a real fun battle with the Raider leader, Crismo, and Bob is in there, you know, throwing his kicks and whatever. And I think Crismo even, I think Lats Razi even has like an Ali shuffle at one point yes. in the middle of like this nine kick combo or something. And also in this fight, we find out that C21 Heisinger, in his big moment in the initial heist attempt, he reveals that he knows that spinning is a good trick. Oh, yeah. I always like when we <laughs> see spinning in the show, Robbie. That's just my, you know, simple mind being entertained by spinning. I don't know what this is about my mind, Robbie, but it worked for me. And the only thing that I felt was maybe a little bit odd about all the fighting stuff was that for such a supposedly professional team of bounty hunters, it was just a little bit weird that when the train was on its journey just before the Raiders turned up, everyone was pretty much inside the train. I mean, when you and I do train protection jobs, we always make sure we have eyes on top of the train looking in all directions. And here they sort of send Ventress and Dengar out the back, but they're not even really paying attention. You know, get, they get caught completely unawares. And so this sort of was a little bit of a janky thing where they're supposedly this elite team of bounty hunters, but they don't necessarily start out the job being elite. And as we find out as it goes on, they all get pretty much waxed except for Ventress and Baba. But I've just done a whole bunch of talking about a whole bunch of stuff, Robbie. Why don't you talk about how this whole heist sort of kicks off and the, the kung fu fighting that goes on? Well, yeah, for sure, Lots Razi's it's basically that one sequence where she does just a series of kicks, but it's one of the things that made me realize that not only have they gotten better with, you know, the lighting and the, I guess 
the camera placement, if you want to call it that. Sure. You know, the direction of the action and all that kind of stuff. But the action also looks more fluid and more realistic, which I really, really like. It's one of the things that I know I'd mentioned in some of the previous sort of action-y type episodes where it's just not a very fluid movement. And in this episode in particular, it's one where I really, really realized and noticed that they've gotten a lot better at that. So that's one of the things there. And as you said, you know, when we do our train protection our missions, our train protection missions in real life. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely you gotta keep a lookout on all sides. And it's one of those things where it's almost ridiculous that Dengar getting taken out almost immediately. It was kinda like, oh man. And then they they're like one by one, bam, 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 and they're all getting thrown off and it's just like, how but these are supposed to be like awesome and they're getting tossed off and it's just like come on but Ventress man there's something about Ventress that I always remembered that I kind of warm up to Ventress like especially my first and second watch throughs there's almost a a warming up period for me with new characters and Ventress just I mean in this especially this watch through this (laughs) this taking in of the of the Clone Wars I've warmed up to her sooner and I'm very affectionate toward Ventress now. It's like I really, really love this character and I love the way that she's almost everything she says is just like biting sarcasm and I just love the way that she delivers her lines. Nick Fatiman is awesome, right? She's just awesome. I know, I just it's something that I just I didn't really and maybe it's because I gravitate toward, you know, more I guess courageous and honorable characters but it took me a while to really warm up to her and now it's just like i mean how can you argue i mean she's she's just one of the most interesting characters in this show and here's something i thought was particularly interesting was that when the writers board the train at the back platform a a fist fight ensues ventress doesn't draw her lightsabers until pretty far into the engagement she's just you know kung fu fighting or ninja fighting for the first two or three phases of the fight I guess at first that she didn't want Dengar or any of the others to twig that she's actually trained in the use of those lightsabers because what she tells them is that she stole them you know she's trying to hide who she is and where she comes from it seems like you know and she's sort of almost playing the part of just some soldier of fortune who's stolen these lightsabers somehow but also in that opening sort of engagement Dengar doesn't use his weapon either. He doesn't take a single shot at any of the raiders. And partly, I guess, it's because they're in close range. But even when the raiders break off and start running along the train, he doesn't unleash his weapon on them. You know, I think he would take a few shots at them as they run away. Instead, he just stops and calls in, you know, hey, you've got company coming. So I guess part of the story that's being told there is maybe the two of them were both so taken by surprise that they were just in a, such a defensive mode that they didn't even think to use their weapons at first. Right. But of course, she does draw them eventually, and, you know, she's super effective with them. Uh, Dinga, maybe a little bit less effective. I don't think he fires a single shot at all. No, he doesn't. Gun, right? he doesn't. He's just gone. He's the first one off, and, you know, he gets left behind. But of course, what it all leads to, I mean, we've talked about C21, High Singer doing his spinning trick. We've talked about Lutz Razi doing her, you know, Taekwondo kicking attack. You know, which is all a lot of fun kung fu fighting, but the highlight of this whole sort of section of the movie is this confrontation between Ventress and Baba when she grabs his face and she dismisses him as a mere boy. And of course, Baba comes back at her heart with a good old, you have no idea who you're talking to, which of course leads to Ventress 
teaching Bob a little bit about who he is talking to with a wee dose of force choking. And the whole episode up until that point really plays on that fun old classic trope of the traveling gunslinger or the traveling mysterious kung fu master who we as the audience know is extremely formidable but who is underestimated by everyone they come across because they don't know just who they're dealing with right and in those sort of stories these moments in which the skill of the protagonist is revealed are always super fun and super satisfying you know because we know it's coming and we know what they can do when they finally do it and this is in a way related to how we always talk about Palpatine being in peril because we know what he's capable of but with Palpatine they never go there right they can't really go there with Ventress they eventually can and it's a ton of fun and in Bounty that moment is played perfectly and just expertly by I guess Dunleavy and Lucas and Futterman with a delivery and Filoni who is overseeing the whole thing in the animators and basically everyone involved with that moment that moment that Ventress force lifts and force chokes Boba Fett is for me one of the highlight moments of what has been a really impressively high quality season of the show so far oh yeah this is it's just one of those things where it's just i had to keep pausing it because i loved different shots the coloring the lighting and like you said the direction of the camera the just the placement of the characters in the frame is the the framing's beautiful this is one of those things where you it was hard for me to just enjoy the episode, you know, as it flowed because I had to keep just sitting there and marveling at how far we've come. You know, it's like I mean, especially when you go back and and you look at some of the the screenshots from some of the other from the previous episodes, you're just like, "Wow, they've they've made such strides." And like you said, they're not only doing all of this technical stuff that that's really making it look great, the story, the acting, the voice, the voice acting, all of that stuff is coming together in a way where you really feel that it's just, I mean, it's, it's so much fun to watch, you know, and you can enjoy it on all these different levels. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about this show in general. It's just that, man, there's just so much to enjoy here. And yeah, you're right. Seeing Ventress do that and finally show what she's capable of. It's just great. And then you get that turn at the end where it's almost like, you know, the soldier of fortune with a heart of gold. The kind of it's just I love it. I love 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 the way that they they do that. Sure, but I liked how they didn't completely turn her to the heart of gold side of things. They don't make her into a hero. They still stick her firmly in the anti-hero camp because she doesn't do it philanthropically, right? She's still going to take money for it. She's going to keep Pluma free of the creepy, despotic, you know, Ottawa blank. But she's not going to do it out of the goodness of her heart. She's going to do it for profit. And so I like that they keep her as an anti-hero. She's not, you know, a hero hero. She's going to take their money. She's going to take some of their resources, even as she does the right thing, let's say. Right, but it's one of those things where I thought, oh, she's doubling up, you know, when she gets the payment from Crismo. But at the same time, I was thinking, right then, I was thinking, oh, okay, so she's just going to take all the money. I mean, like I said, you know how, like, this has been my third time watching it, but it's been a while, and I forgot that she actually goes back to the bounty hunters and gives them the share, their share, too. Yeah, that was the one sort of thing that I didn't love about the episode. I thought that was pushing it too far too fast for her you know that i didn't feel like there was a reason for it yeah but she's playing the long game somewhere along the way she may be able to use them she may be able to because now she's i think at this point we have to recognize that she's playing the long game here i just think that the turn is too fast because she tells baba those other guys they can get lost and so it's like a switch flips 
Right. It doesn't feel like an organic development. There's no scene that sets up that switch, whereas there's a beautiful scene that sets up her change of heart on delivering Pluma, you know, when she mm-hmm. finds that she has this relatability to Pluma. There's no scene where her, I guess, sympathy or her change of heart where she's going to be not part of the team but extend like an olive branch to them. That's just not set up. It's just a switch at the end, you know, and I guess, I mean, I just prefer the storytelling. The way that the Pluma story is told is pretty much perfect, you know. It sets up this great moment when you can see that her heart's maybe going to change. And it does change, but it doesn't set up the switch at the end, which contradicts what she says earlier in the episode. You know, that's part of it as well. If she hadn't said that earlier in the episode, straight to bubble, like, the others can get lost. And then at the end, she's, no, the others are fine. It's just too much of a switch and too rushed, I felt. See, I felt like it was, I mean, you can look at it as a, a kindness but I didn't see it as a kindness. I saw it as a, she's playing the long game and she's looking at this as now her new career as a bounty hunter. And it's not good to completely undercut all of your fellow bounty hunters, especially when, you know, because I think her reputation now is going to go forward. And they're going to be like, you know, down the road, it's going to be like, hey, we met this chick on Tatooine, and she helped us out with this thing. Maybe you should call her. You know what I mean? Sure. I, that's how I looked at it. I looked at it as a, like a, it's almost like her playing the long game uh, as her new career choice as a bounty hunter. No, I agree with the reason for it. I'm just saying that this, there's a switch that happens because earlier in the episode, she's not thinking about right. that at all. So w- there's no point that shows us she's ha- coming to a revelation that she should play the long game. Hmm. Whereas with Pluma, there's that beautiful moment where the revelation happens. So that's why it feels like a switch. You know, it's not that she becomes gold-hearted at the end or good-hearted. You know, she's being pragmatic by keeping them in the loop, but it's just not set up. So I guess that's why I felt it was rushed. But like I said, that was the only thing in the episode that really, apart from them not keeping a good lookout, those are the only two (laughs) things. You know, I like pretty much everything about the episode. And I love at the end just seeing that. I mean, let's get to it. My favorite shot of the episode is the second to last shot of the episode, that close-up on Ventress's face as she says, now I have a future, and for the first time ever, we see something like peace on the face and in the eyes of Asajj Ventress. So, I don't know, have I, have I matched your favorite shot of the episode, Robbie, or do you have a different shot? Well, there was, I actually had a, a lot of shots, but they were almost like individual shots of the crystal formations underneath that planet. Yeah, it's a very beautiful environment again. Yeah, the way that the grav lifts or whatever, the what you know, where the train goes through, the way all of those are suspended, the coloring, the purple and the yellow. I just really, really liked it. And then, of course, you've got this striking red of Asajj's lightsabers. But my favorite shot is when Crismo throws the smoke grenade and you see Asajj's lightsabers through the smoke. I just love the way that that looked. Yeah, that's awesome. And then as she's walking forward, kind of a side shot, you know, her in profile. And as she's walking, the lighting of those, whatever you want to call those, those grab lift type things that are suspended. The lighting going by with the smoke. I just, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff, apparently, because it's like I I choose a smoke related shot in almost every episode. But I just love the way that it looked. And it reminded me of, there was almost a, like an old timey sort of. Like the office of the detective, you know, in the, in the old noir kind of right. movies, you know what I mean? Sure. There's something really beautiful about it, and with all of these beautiful colors, I mean, so that's my shot. Or the, I, I guess maybe a sequence with her lightsabers through the smoke, 
where she's obscured, but her lightsabers are still there. And, and then as she's walking through and those, those grab lifts, ah, it's just a beautiful stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of great shots. I mean, we haven't even talked about the way that they set up this planet that you can't land a ship on because it's so pressurized on the surface somehow. Yeah, that space elevator was cool. Yeah, it's a really cool idea, although it doesn't really play into, I mean, if they can't land a shift on the surface, how can they walk around on the surface, you know, without some sort of pressure suit on? I don't know. That was a, it was a cool idea that didn't quite click with what happened later in the episode when they are all fine, you know. I mean, if something can crush a ship, what can it do to an organic being? I don't know. that, But I still thought it was a cool idea. Maybe it belonged in a different episode where our heroes walk around in pressure suits. I don't know. I just thought it was a sweet idea. And like you said, yeah, that lift was cool. But before we bring this one for a landing, Robbie, we need to sum it up and we need to give our rating. So after your third ever watch of Bounty, how did you like it? And where does Bounty sit on that four-star Robbie scale? In fact, I haven't done this for a while. If I reach out with the force, let me... If I reach out with the force, I think... I can feel 3.25 on the Robbie scale. You know, it's funny that you say that because the 3.25 is what I was going to give it. Oh! But now I'm changing it on the fly because the more I'm talking about it and the more I'm thinking about it, I, I mean, it's almost like just talking about it has made me love Ventress even more. Sweet. And I really love what they did with her character as far as, you know, being almost completely hopeless and, and rudderless at the beginning of the of the episode. And now at the end of her, the episode, she feels like she's found her calling. She's found, like you said, maybe a little bit of peace. I'm going to give this one a 3.5. Nice. Yep, I have Bounty at 9. Lats Razi kicks out of 10. I'm not going to mess around with any of this recapping or anything, Robbie. Let's just say it's 9. Lats Razi kicks out of 10. I mean, I laid out the two things that didn't quite work for me, but everything else is just so fun and so perfectly handled, perfectly played out. Oh, and how did you like Boba Fett? Now he's no hesitation. He has no problem killing people now. He's just going for it. I kind of like that too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it sort of advances Bob. I mean, even the thing where he's the one in the chest at the end, you know, just super fun. And it's one of those things where well, you almost feel sorry for Bob if you're getting <laughs> handed over to these guys because he's probably not going to have a good time for a while. But, you know, we know that he's not going to come to us in there. so Or get married. Don't worry about him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's probably not going to get married either. And that's Mission Accomplished for Season 4, Episode 20, Bounty. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell us how much they love Bounty or how wrong I am about my little issues with this episode, how can they reach us? Well, we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And, of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 87th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology Season 4 episode 21 brothers and until then this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie and we are out remember you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode and speaking of feedback episodes you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com May the force be with you.